So Gunnar, we, so one of the things that uh, has been going on here at the summit this week is that people have all been talking about this this book that came out mm-hmm. that um, and it's not the open organization. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about the open organization. Yeah, the, the, and which is a book that people have been talking about. That's but true. there's there's another book that has really resonated with the the, the people at the summit, and it's a coloring book. Nice, nice, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I don't, so I don't think. There are a lot of children at the summit, Dave. I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. Um, but, but yeah, so uh, but but it's very educational. It's an educational coloring book. It's uh, it's not just entertaining, but it's educational. And and we ought to get the uh, author of that coloring book on the show one of these days. Yeah, hold on. Let me uh, let me turn to my right and see if I can. Oh, there he is. Hey, hey. How are you? Yeah, hold, hold well, the book. Welcome up to, to Boston, the... where the uh, proper English is spoken. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hold the book up to the, the yeah, yeah. microphone. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. <laughs> it's the container coloring book. Yeah. yeah. They misspelled container. There's yeah, an ER yeah, there. There's yeah, no A-H. Yeah. <laughs> we spelled it that way for the rest of the country. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a U.S. English version. So how did the... Oh, wait a minute. Who is this person? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Maureen Duffy. <laughs> she's a much better artist than I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm Dan Walsh. So, uh, and actually, been Dan, on the show before. Yeah. Well, last time you were on the show, you had a different job and a yeah. different coloring book. And a different uh, coloring different, book. That, yeah. <laughs> so this is the follow up to the uh, the highly successful Leslie Linux coloring book from last year. Uh, we decided to do uh, a new coloring book to explain container technology and um, last year's. Uh, the SC Linux coloring book was a huge success, um, you know, just because people f- sort of finally got how SC Linux sort of worked based on the coloring book. So we decided, you know, if it worked last year, we'd do it again for the this year. The problem is, you know, now I know people can expect me to have a new coloring book next year, and I have no <laughs> idea what I'm going to do with yeah. it. So, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens uh, for next year. But anyways, the, the coloring book uh, came up. Um, it's actually uh, it's a story of the three pigs looking for a house. Yep. And uh, uh, when I gave my talk, I have a, a, a little glossary, and that's pigs equal services. So the, the idea is where are you going to put your services in the environment? So uh, I really wanted to cover uh, a bunch of different topics in it, basically explaining container technology, but also explaining when you want to use containers versus virtualization, mm-hmm. what kind of platform do you want to run your uh, containers on? So, so the first, you know, Basically, the pigs are going to look for a house, apartment, uh, or a duplex, or uh, live, sleep in a hostel, or, of course, if they run with SC Linux turned off, they're sleeping in the park. Uh, <laughs> and then we look at it, we, we sort of look at the different security uh, concerns of that. Mm-hmm. Um, then eventually, we choose to, they choose to live in an apartment building because uh, apartments have the best uh, sharing of resources, so you can get, you know, lots of pig sharing resources. Uh, so similar to containers, you have nice sharing of resources, ease of maintenance. You know, you don't have to cut the lawns and do right, all the right. maintenance of the house. It's all taken care of for you. Uh, so that's what, sort of where containers uh, sit. The, the analogy comes to apartment houses. But the, the interesting thing about containers and apartment houses is uh, the analogy of the kernel. So in an apartment house, you have the front desk where, you know, supposedly they have all the keys to the apartment house. So if, if I attack the front desk and take it over, I get all the keys to all the apartments so I can uh, get all the pigs. 
Um, but in a uh, container environment, the single point of failure is the kernel. So, you know, a lot of what we do when we're trying to secure containers is actually limit the attack surface on the kernel. So mm -hmm. if you can limit the way the processes can interact with the kernel, you know, you can uh, sort of uh, shrink the attack surface in that if the kernel has a vulnerability, uh, it, it could let the container processes escape to take over the machine. So that's really where that analogy is. The, the rest of the coloring book goes into uh, talking a little bit about separation. Uh, so yeah. in, uh, in DACA, we take advantage of uh, several uh, key factors in separation. Of course, one of them is SC Linux, um, but we also take advantage of uh, shrunk namespace, uh, using namespaces to shrink, the, eliminate your view of other processes on the system. We take advantage of capabilities. Um, so really, we look at, uh, you know, in the coloring book terms, you know, we don't go that deep into it, but uh, mm -hmm. in my talks, I cover uh, extensively uh, how the security works in a, a container to a container thing. The final chapter of the coloring Don't book, ruin the ending for okay, everybody. No, I, well, no, I, I actually, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, uh, the, the last part of the coloring book, uh, well, I actually skipped one of the sections. One of the sections also is looking at uh, sort of the traditional three pig story, which is, you know, what house does he live in? So we look at it, what apartment building we live in. So Maureen Duffy drew some really nice pictures of yeah. a house made of straw, or a house made of uh, sticks, and a house made of, of brick. Uh, and the analogy there is where you're going to run your container uh -huh. container platform. So if you buy, build one yourself, we equate that to being a house of sticks. Yep. I mean, a house of straw, and that, you know, it's very easy to break. You're probably not going to take security into, you're not going to do a very good job on your security separation. You're not going to have good support cycles. You, you know, it's basically, it's up to you to throw together. If I built an apartment building, trust me, it would be built of straw. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so someone building, a, building their own container platform is a very risky and, and not good. The second level is building of sticks which we equate to using sort of a, a, a free distribution. So, you know, building on Fedora or building on Ubuntu or building on some distribution where there's some limited support, but of course, you know, they're usually very short-term support. Um, and and there's no one really you can call up if, if you have no a SLA. Right, there's, there's, no, there's no agreement to fix anything. Uh, you don't have uh, people studying you know, ways to make it perform better. You don't have any security, no, no security updates, things like that, not, not Expected security updates, yeah. uh, and then the last one is the house of brick, and of course that's what I define as RHEL. So mm -hmm. um, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux is, is sort of the house of brick in that you have someone you can call, someone to come out and support. You have regular security updates, making sure that everything is is, is tight on your machine. You can get a hold of people like I work with Jeremy Eater, who is just you know, a tremendous performance expert. And you can have him come in and, and help. You know. Get his papers on finding how to run different workloads and containers better and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But so, so that's those are the th first three chapters of what I like to call the three chapters of security. It's like nine hundred pages. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's it's got a lot of words in it actually. For but the the, the artwork of Maureen Duffy is tremendous. No, it's great. It's yeah. great. I can imagine. I just had this mental picture of Gunner reading this to Soren at night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's uh, right. But the uh, so the la I just want to get into the last chapter, and, I, and this is the the chapter that I, I I try to beat into people's heads when I give them talks, and and it's basically how do you furnish your apartment? Yeah, and yeah. The analogy for uh, for containers is where do you get the software that you're going to run in your container? Yeah. So uh, we in the 
coloring book, we basically describe getting uh, furniture off the curb. Oh, it was, it, the picture is hilarious. It's like all these stink lines coming off the, <laughs> off the, the couch and all and, that. And, yeah. and, and actually, uh, in my talk yesterday where I, I, I went through the coloring book, I, I have another slide that I call Linux 1999, and, and I have horror music playing uh, in the background. <laughs> So if you think back to Linux 1999, um, uh, before Red Hat Enterprise Linux started up, uh, you had vendors, co companies that would try experimenting with using Linux in the environment, and the way uh, you would go out and find content for your, uh, you know, to run on your Linux platform is you go out to AltaVista or Yahoo and, and Google mm -hmm. uh, content, even though Google really didn't exist yeah. at the time. Right. And it usually be RPM find.net, you'd find the content and, and you would download the RPMs and you would install it on your machine and everything would be fine until all of a sudden you'd hear about a security problem and your security officer or your uh, head admin would come in and say, uh, this, do we have this Z-Lub? problem, uh, this vulnerability, and at which point you would say, I have no clue. I just mm -hmm. downloaded this random stuff. So I have a fellow co-worker named Simo Source, and he, mm -hmm. he defines Docker as uh, people running, grabbing random crap off the internet and running it as root on their system. So so in a, a lot of ways, so the uh, Linux 1999 problem was actually solved by Enterprise Linux, and, and Red Hat Enterprise Linux came along, and also you had certified applications you had. Um, a company that would stand behind the software, that would monitor the software. When a shell shock happened, we would work tirelessly to get fixes out to the customer as fast as possible. So for the last 15, 12 to 15 years, however long we've been doing RHEL, we've always been improving the process of, of shipping software and, and good, secure software and then maintaining it and, and always updating it. So now we're having a sort of a transition going on in the dark container world where everybody's in my opinion, is starting to lose focus on what good security practices are. And, and one of the reasons for that is they hear the word container and they think containers contain. So, right. uh, so as I explained uh, earlier, uh, I've of, often told people containers do not contain. And what I mean by that is containers do not contain as well as virtual machines or separate pieces of hardware. Um, so if you're installing random crap onto your machine and that doesn't have support cycle and stuff like that, then all of a sudden, your machine becomes vulnerable to attacks. So that's why we say installing random stuff off the internet is equivalent to finding furniture on the curb that you know, has stink bugs and bed bugs <laughs> coming out of it. Uh, so the next part of that is, is looking at self-assembled furniture, which, uh, you know, so we, we sort of, I don't want to slam Ikea, but it's like buying Ikea furniture and that you have to put everything together yourself. And you end up having to maintain the uh, support of it. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's not as good. And then the last level is, of course, the, the top of the line furniture being delivered by Red Hat. Um, so what I really, but I really want to concentrate on is people that you know want enterprise quality software should run enterprise quality software inside of their containers. They shouldn't be just going out and grabbing random content. It reminds me of a, a, uh, I saw a presentation recently uh, from someone who said uh, uh, when talking about how uh, people are mistakenly making thinking that containers can uh, eliminate responsibility for things like patching and, and updates and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. He yeah. says, uh, says uh, operational responsibility is never created or destroyed. It's only moved around in an organization, yeah. right? So, like, um, like and in his case, he's saying, you know, containers are really, in a lot of cases, just moving responsibility to the developer. Instead of oh, yeah. They, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to do that. Well, they actually, uh, again, my talk yesterday, I, I called DevOps is, is – 
I always remember the old Oklahoma where the, the farmers and the ranches don't get along and develop developers and operators have totally different mindsets. Yeah. The developer just wants to get stuff out the door and then go off and work on the next fancy piece of software with operators are the ones that get yelled at when the, the get machines hacked. get hacked. Yeah. So an operator cares about security much more than a developer does. And I, as a developer, will tell you that, you know, once I'm done with a piece of software, the last thing I want to do is revisit it six months later <laughs> to two years later. You know, you just don't want to come back and work on it. So when I say the DevOps model, I have a huge fear of, you know, this shifting responsibility because in a container model, the, the, the job of updating for security fixes is now on the developers, as you mm -hmm. said, yeah. and, and, and operators, you know, all an operator can, what we're trying to build for operators is tools to examine the, 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 containers, the, yeah. the containers and tell the developers, come and fix this thing or I got to turn it off. Um, and so that they have some weapon against uh, them. I mean, they all, they will have the ability to update the software themselves, but then they kind of break the container model because the container model means that the developer, when the developer tested in his environment, QA tested is what they uh, is running on the system. So if the admin comes in and, and updates software, then you sort of, you know, you're not running the same thing as testing. Um, so, you know, we have lots of, I, I have a big fear of that. And I, I think what's going to happen, people are going to go running down this road of just installing random stuff and then something's going to happen yeah. and they're going to come running back to us and ask us to fix it. But when we build tools that examine the software, all we can examine is RHEL, right? We can't examine Fedora. We can't examine anything else because you know, that's, that's not software that Red Hat is producing correctly. So if you, if you come to us and you, you ask us, is my system vulnerable and I am running a busy box application, on it, there's no way we can tell you. So our software is only going to be able to examine RHEL content. So, because we put the engineering effort into tracking the CVEs, sure. having oval content, and having, why don't you talk about the tooling that we have of being able to inspect a container? Right. So actually, in the last couple of days, one of the things I've been trying to work with is the OpenSCAP um, team to build us the tooling to analyze containers. And, and, and my team, I, I actually run the Docker team at Red Hat. And, Congratulations, by the way, because uh, I think since the last time last time we talked, you were you were still working on this. I was working on a security team, and uh, they moved me onto Docker about a year ago. Um, and uh, I actually have, uh, I'm not a manager, but I have uh, I'm team lead, and I have probably about seven or eight people working on my team. A lot of interns this summer too, and so this, it's uh, it's rapidly developing mm -hmm. um, the software. And, and, and anyways, one of the things we've been looking for is is to um, get a tool that we can examine content for uh, vulnerabilities or you know, any, any type of thing. So we've looked at the open SCAP team, uh, which has basically been building software for government uh, NIST requirements and different types of uh, requirements, but they have a really good tool set for examining, you know, images or examining hosts, host operating systems. So what I've asked them to do is to build me a smaller subset of what they can test. And, and look at Docker images so that mm -hmm. we could say run regular scans of all the images that you have installed in your machine. So an interesting thing happened a uh, few weeks ago is a security team went out to Docker IO, yep. examined Docker IO. Um, you know they have about forty thousand images sitting out there, and they found about thirty percent of all images were vulnerable to known security uh, attacks. And I don't blame Docker IO for this at all. That's not Docker IO. It's like blaming GitHub for right, yeah, somebody else's code. Software. Right. Yeah. But Docker IO is just a is a hub for where anybody can upload it. And what a lot of it, a lot of the vulnerabilities that are out there are just some developer uploaded software to say, hey, I got a really cool version of Hadoop here. 
they run it, they upload it, and then they're off to the next cool thing. So they never go back to fix the security problems that arise. And over time, that grows to a huge number of vulnerabilities. So I think as we move to Docker, the same thing's going to happen inside your enterprise. So also, you're going to be running hundreds of thousands of these applications, and you're not going to have necessarily any tool, tooling to figure out where you're vulnerable in the environment. So what we want to do is take OpenSCAP, build it into a, actually build it into a container, and have it as a container that can examine other containers. That right. Can look at the so you could actually go to, let's say, like potentially you could eventually go to your orchestration tool, whatever that is, and say, right. go inspect all the containers on this box and let me know, let me know if you find any, let me know if you find any errors. Right, find any errors. And, 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 and actually, we're building tools to make those tools run faster. Because, yeah. because instead of just examining, you know, in, in the in OpenSCAP's traditional world, is just examining one machine or one virtual machine. But now each virtual machine might have 100 container images on it. So we're really going to see an explo yeah. explosion <laughs> yeah. of a number of uh, things that need to be scanned to figure out if they have vulnerabilities. What so. about making it part of the build process, too? So that way, like, you can augment the developer to make sure that they are using secure content and things like right. that. Right. I think, I actually, I think that's a great idea. And I think, uh, you know, as we build, uh, Red Hat's building out a certified uh, platform for, for third parties to build on top of Red Hat. I think it'd be a really nice idea for us to provide that in, inside of the build suite. So you'll be able to go to a Red Hat site and say, here's my Docker file, here's my description, here's all the software, and run it through. And then that would have, have to do a scan at the end to make sure that, it, it, you know, that they use it in and you know, the, the third party didn't introduce any new vulnerabilities into the software. So, so talk about, so, so that's managing the content inside the containers. Yeah. And then you mentioned SE Linux as one of the kind of controls around the containers. Right. Um, I think we've talked about both in the past about C groups as right. another kind of set of controls. What other uh, what other protections are in place to keep somebody from like breaking out of a container? And what does that even look like? Actually, is it like is it uh, do I have to like hack the kernel in order to get at other containers from one container? Or what's right? What so the, so the traditional if I'm in a traditional container, um, we actually again I, when I talk about this, I usually talk about attack surfaces on the kernel. The way you have to be able to talk to the kernel in certain ways to be able to attack it. So one of the first things uh, you have to think about is kernel file systems. Yep. So slash sys slash proxys, um, things like uh, sysfs. That's where like SE Linux uh, file system exists. Or C groups file system exists. So you have all these file systems, and, and uh, privileged processes can talk to those file systems and you know, turn turn SE disable SE Linux at four zero that writes to a kernel file system. So one of the first things Docker does is it actually takes those file systems and mounts them read-only inside of the container. So none of the processes are allowed to write to those. We have to mount a lot of files, a lot of kernel file systems into the container, like slash proc and slash sys, or else processes wouldn't run. So they they see the file systems and they're just mounted read-only. So that's the first line of defense. But in an interesting second line of defense is you can't allow mount because if I just could mount, then I could mount them remount remount them rewrite. So we have to figure out a way to eliminate the mount from inside the container. The way we do that is we take advantage of a thing called Linux capabilities. Yep. So I'm sure you guys have probably talked about Linux capabilities. Uh, back about 15, 20 years ago, Linux uh, broke down the power brute into a series of capabilities. And they originally picked the number 32, so the size of an inch for uh, capabilities. Um, and interesting thing is uh, they, they broke down lots and lots of power, but as they got closer to 32, people started to um, you know, reuse, previously used capabilities. Uh -huh. Okay, so 
uh, and another thing is kernel engineers tend to be lazy, and so you don't want to go out and allocate a new one of the 32 capabilities, but you see one that's sort of like what you've used before. It's close enough. Yeah. Yeah, so there's one called sysadmin, which everybody <laughs> saw something. So this is like, administ- yeah. this is like administrative for everything. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so if you look at sysadmin, the, 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 it's like three pages of text to describe all the things that sysadmin uh, eliminates. But the nice thing is in containers, we can actually eliminate sysadmin, mm-hmm. or at least we do, do by default. Uh, so by turning off sysadmin inside the container, we actually lose the ability to mount. So, so we take away the ability to mount. So when you run a Linux container, we take away about uh, 15 capabilities. So yeah. we take about half the capabilities away from the, the, the root process. So is that a specific, is that applicable to all Docker implementations or is that something that our implementation no, of Docker? That, that actually, I mean, we, we work with Docker to, to pick out which capabilities okay. to drop. But m- most of the stuff we do, we try to get into the upstream yeah. you know, Docker. Because like a lot of times, you know, like I, and I know you'll get into the SE Linux part, yeah. but the, not everybody implements SE Linux and they only use namespaces and C groups right. for right. containing so things, which isn't enough. So the only, the only platforms that have, have SE Linux on by default are, you know, the Red Hat upstreams and downstreams. So it's mm-hmm. Fedora. Um, Rel and CentOS, which and, and that seems crazy to me because yeah. how how are these other implementations protecting? Uh, how are they? How are they they, they, they just don't, they just don't do it. I mean, okay. they 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 just vulnerable. It's uh, they they don't take advantage of it. And, and to me, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about some other uh, yeah, some we'll other things. That, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but SE Linux is probably the best way to secure containers in that. Yeah, well, we do, SE Linux, and we can go back to last year's coloring book, but basically there's two types of enforcement we take advantage of in SE Linux. The first one's called type enforcement. And basically, um, it, it defines a type for every process, and then there's a type on all the content. And so we actually, in a container environment, we only use two types. We have a, a standard type for the processes in the container, and we have a standard type for the content in the container. So all processes in a container run with the same type, and all the content has the same type label on it. Um, that the container process type is not able to write to anything except for the container file type. So it can't write anywhere. So if it came, if it broke out of the container by any means, it couldn't write anywhere. So that gives us good isolation of container processes from the host. So mm-hmm. a container can't break out and, and attack the host. The problem with that is it can attack other containers because mm-hmm. if every container runs with the same type and every, all the content is the same type, type enforcement doesn't buy as right. much. And for that for the container on container crime uh, <laughs> but what we do is we take advantage of a second thing which is called mcs labeling so multi-category security this is the same stuff we've been using for svr yep. uh, for doing virtualization and for open chip so it's it's pretty proven technology for the last well, i i sort of invented it about six or seven years ago and when I, I, I invent a hammer, I find a lot of nails for it. <laughs> um, and so we take advantage of that. And what MCS does is just, uh, we, we set up SC, SC Linux kernel to say that the MCS labels have to match. So the, what we do is the Docker daemon picks out a little MCS label for every single container, and then it guarantees uniqueness. When it starts up the machine, it labels all the content with the MCS label, and then it starts the process with a matching MCS label. If the MCS label doesn't match, if I take a process from a container A and it tries to read content from container B, then the Linux, SE Linux kernel will lock it. So the nice thing about this, other than uh, as compared to, say, standard DAC, is if I have a world-readable file inside of my container B, container A still can't write it. If it's world-readable, if I have accidentally set up 
you know, my uh, credit card data in container B is being world readable, container A still can't read it. So there's this total block uh, between all the containers. The containers can't. The only way the containers can communicate with SE Linux is over the network. And you, you got blog posts for that. Oh, this, we can put yeah, that in the show yeah, notes for yeah, people this, to. So I've written four four articles that they really go in depth into the. Uh, Security of Docker. You know, talking about when when you care about the security in Docker and you know how it's implemented and stuff. And those are all on opensource.com, and we'll put links into all of those on, uh, on your website, dgshow.org. Nice. Um, so that so okay. So if I'm a bad guy, if I want to get out and I want to attack another container, one pack host, I have to first get through the regular discretionary access controls. Right. Um, then I have to get through. Uh, all of the capabilities right. uh, filters on the kernel, and then I have to get through the SE Linux protection, right. um, both for the type enforcement against the host, and then the MCS protections from from right. container to container. Yeah. Now, one thing that one thing that people have been talking have been talking about a bunch is the namespace controls, and there's and right. So the, and that's a way of like, uh, how does that work? And and also, I'm not entirely clear on the difference between the kernel namespace stuff and the user namespace stuff. Right. So. When we're dealing with namespaces, so n namespace is a mechanism in the uh, Linux kernel that allows the the kernel to take a group of processes and change its worldview of the system. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a container, there's something called a PID namespace, which basically uh, restarts uh, slash proc. So you, the only processes that you see inside of your PID namespace are, are other processes in your PID namespace. So you lose the view of all the processes in the system. So this can be considered a security feature, although I usually just say that you know it's just a it's a uh, a feature of containers and that you can't see the processes. But if you can't see other processes, it makes it harder to attack them. Um, secondly, a second namespace is called the network namespace, which allows you to um, to set up different networking. So, mm -hmm. so you could have a totally different networking stack for each one of your containers. Um, and since I can't see, I could set up routing tables and firewall rules and stuff like that, so my processes could only talk, say, to the internal network and another container that could only talk to the external network. And maybe a third container that transferred it back and forth, and all of a sudden we have that old cross-domain solution. Yeah. So I could set up that type of environment. So that that could be considered a security, although I usually don't stress that. But it's basically setting up a network as a namespace. Is, would another, that help with like network or like packet sniffing? Or uh, yeah, well, I mean, you, you you're not able to see the other guys. Right. Ethernet like if you can't, but if yeah. if you didn't do that, you could. Yeah, if you're yeah. all sharing the same network, then yeah. you know, and your privilege process. Yeah. Know, so so a lot of this when we're talking about this also. Privilege process inside the container. So one one uh, I'm going to get to what I think you want me to talk about in mm -hmm. a second. The user namespace. But uh, so one other uh, thing that we take advantage in the in the kernel um, is a thing called the device C group. I, I actually believe it should have been device namespace. But there's a device C group with, um, that actually limits the number of C groups that they I mean, types of devices that can be inside of a container. So we talked earlier about again. If I'm a process, if I'm a bad process inside of a container, I'm trying to attack the kernel. Mm -hmm. So one way I attack the kernel is through the kernel file systems, which we mounted read only. Another way to attack the kernel is through the device devices that are present inside the kernel. So I want to attack, say, say if I put a physical disk device inside of a container, then I might be able to write directly to the physical disk and take over the machine. So you want to eliminate as many devices from the Side of the container as possible. So if you ran a container, you'd only see very few devices, things like you know, dev null, dev zero, mm -hmm. uh, loop devices, uh, internal devices, things like that. But there's very few uh, 
nodes in there. And since you have a privilege process, the privilege process would go out and try to create more nodes, but the device uh, C group actually prevents you from creating device nodes. So if you can't create a device node for talking to you know, file systems and things like that, then you can't attack the you can't attack that part of the kernel. Um, so a interesting. So that, that those are really the main features that we have for securing uh, Linux right now. Um, there are a couple of other features that we're working to get into Docker to further control it, and, and one that, that Gunner is trying to get me to talk about right now <laughs> is called the user namespace. And uh, I have uh, a lot of uh, history with the user namespace in that um, I actually believe it has some major problems. But the user namespace, the, the, real, the real funny thing about the user namespace is everybody thinks it's Nirvana. Yeah. So, they, it, so what the user namespace allows you to do is to map a UID on the host that is not root to root inside the container. So yeah. my usually description of this is I can map UID 5000 to UID 0 inside the container. Um, and therefore, if I broke out of the container, and outside of the container, I'd be UID 5000. So mm -hmm. we'd have a really good discretionary or standard protection, privilege protection on there. Um, and so that's, you know, that sounds really cool. Everybody's like, wow, that's, that's cool. I understand that. And, and in certain workloads like OpenShift, where you might have you know, just single users running containers, um, and they're totally privileged inside of that container, it, it might make some sense. The problem with it is, there were several problems with it. Um, the, the biggest problem with it is that there's no file system support. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the way a Docker container works, is you might have 10 processes all sharing the same image. So those that image would have content in, in it, and all that content is labeled with UID zero. If I suddenly set up a user namespace that says I'm my zero is UID 5000, anything that's not mapped into a user namespace is treated as minus one and not accessible to the process inside the container. So if I had a, a file that had real UID zero on that content, the process would not be allowed to read, write, execute that content. Um, so therefore, in order to take advantage of the user namespace, I have to churn all the content to match the user namespace. So imagine if you were running every, every container you ran, you had to run before you started the container, you'd have to do chone, you know, 5,000 colon 5,000 through the entire container. And even if you did that, all right, now all of a sudden, all the content inside the container is used by 5,000, 5,000. Now all of a sudden, Gunner wants to fire up a container and he's gonna use UID 6,000. So now he has to go through and take his container and write you know, chrome 6,000 colon 6,000. So one of the beauties of containers is we can share content. But if all of a sudden we've changed all the owners, they're a copy on write file systems. Mm -hmm. So now we're setting up multiple, you know, multiple images. And, and so if you scale this out to hundreds of containers and each one of the containers being separate, you have a huge management headache and you've lost the ability to share file systems. These files are just going to explode in number. But that's only if you're doing one mapping. So it's a good security practice inside of a container is you actually want to have non-privileged processes inside the container. Yes. Mm -hmm. So inside the container, I am privileged. So if I want to run my Apache app inside of my container, I would rather maybe start it as privileged, but then drop privileges out of it, you know, same way I run it on an operating system. So now I'd have to have you know, a virtual UID 0 and a virtual UID 60 for the Apache process. And the way you do that in user namespace is you now set up a range. So you'd have to have, say, 5,000, 5,060 mapped into the container. And then you'd have, then you'd be able to do the sort of the traditional uh, UID separation. But 
you might, I usually just stretch it out and say, okay, we'll range, we'll, we'll allocate a thousand UIDs for each container. So now we start at 5,000 to 6,000 for one container. Um, but now think about the file system problem. So mm -hmm. now I go into the file system problem. Some of the files are owned by UID zero. Some of you are owned by UID 50. Some of you are owned by UID 60. So now you have to build this real fancy script that adds 5,000 to every UID. It goes through every file in your file system and adds 5,000 to it. And then someone else runs it and they're going to have to add 6,000 to it. So it, the, the complexity of this thing and the management of it just becomes a huge headache. So, so how does it, so what you just described, I know that some, there are some implementations that actually, that you, that take this yeah, similar point. So like, but that sounds so impractical. I can't imagine that ever working anywhere except a laptop. Which is yeah, it, it works. It, it works real well for a single uh, users playing with it. So yeah, you can you can use it and, and it makes it. But when you go out to enterprise scale, uh -huh. uh, large environments, that that is right. where we really explode expose it. Up to this point, it has not even been merged into Docker. Yeah. So none of this functionality. And I've been involved heavily in the discussions on this. And and one of the things we might look at doing is is similar to type enforcement in that we might want to run. A user namespace where we just pick, we substitute root inside of the container, and then we map one to one, two to two, three to three. So we could basically map the entire container to match all UIDs. So UID 60 in everybody's container would be the same. But now if root escaped from the container, it would be UID 5000. So we might run all of our containers with what we're calling the Docker root. And, and that would give us equivalence of the type enforcement part of SE Linux separation mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to attack the host, but you would be allowed to attack all the other containers. So am I hearing it right that user namespace is uh, similar to, and, and it sounds like it's actually redundant to the type enforcement mechanism. Like they're solving the same right. problem. I, right, I, 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 I believe in uh, defense and depth. So I would yeah. I would love to have, Do both, you, right? you use, yeah, I would like to, uh, I worry about SE Linux failing and user yeah. namespace, but I want to have as many, any, as many walls around my castle as I can to, to prevent breakout. So user namespace is coming along and I think it works real, uh, again, I think it will work fairly well in a, um, in a multi-tenant single user environment like OpenShift where everybody has you know, a user Machine. Where I don't think it's going to work well is sort of its traditional services where you're going to be running multiple, you know, Apache service, web services, and having them communicate together where you expect to have multiple UIDs inside of each one of your containers. If file systems suddenly grew support for change, if you could mount a file system and say, uh, treat all UID zeros as UID 5000 inside of this mount environment and I didn't have to chone all the content, then I think user namespace would take off. Can you, can you not do that with, uh, with like an NFS mount? Oh, no, I guess you can't. You right? can't. You can't, you can't I, I don't believe there's any, I haven't yeah. heard of any file system where you can do this yet. Mm -hmm. I think maybe in the future something's going to do. So right. so with user namespace, as I said, Docker hasn't turned it on yet. Uh, we're hoping uh, there is patches to try to turn on turn it on. It was supposed to be turned on in 1.7, which just came out. Uh, now it's been pushed off to 1.8 because of all the problems I talk about. Mm -hmm. So uh, an interesting thing when user namespace got turned on is we actually decided um, that user namespace was too new to run in RHEL 7 because mm -hmm. um, user namespace basically got turned on after we had sort of frozen the kernel for, for RHEL 7. So what we did is we decided to leave user namespace on in the kernel but off in user space, which means the, the syscalls that you asked to turn on user namespace don't exist. So, you, so if you went and did clone, use the namespace, the, the, the 
the kernel will tell you that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But all the code is actually enabled inside of RHEL 7 uh, underneath the covers. And the reason we did that is we wanted to make sure we had ABI compatibility. So if we eventually tried to decide to turn on user namespace, the, 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 we wouldn't suddenly break ABI. And so what we're, right now is we're planning to do is, now that we've had a, uh, about a year and a half experience in Fedora and other distributions with user namespace, probably in 7.2 we'll turn on user namespace. Perhaps at that time, Docker will have an experimental feature that you could take advantage of user namespace at the same time. Uh, a lot, one last thing I wanted to talk about security, uh, and this this patch we're hoping to get in fairly soon. There's another security thing called SecComp, which is mm -hmm. uh, actually was developed by Google for uh, uh, for a Chromium browser. Mm -hmm. So what Google wanted to do is take a uh, when it ran uh, its plugins, so running things like Flash or, or any type of uh, third-party software that went the rendering of code. They wanted to take those processes and then eliminate the syscall table, or mm -hmm. shrink the syscall table as much as possible. So we talked earlier about attacking the kernel. One, one of the ways you attack the kernel is through device nodes, kernel file systems. The last way you attack the kernel is through syscall table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the syscall table on, say, x86-64 has 650 syscalls. Mm -hmm. But on a 32-bit system, it only has 325 syscalls. The reason for that is a 64-bit machine has twice as many, can, can run 32-bit code on it. So, so if you could basically run a Docker container with just turning on turning on the SecComp filters, we could eliminate, and you weren't going to run 32-bit code inside of your container, we could eliminate uh, 325 syscalls from it. Nice. So if one of those 325 syscalls had a vulnerability in it, it would be eliminated from the kernel. So we're actually working to get a patch into Docker to use SecComp. SecComp is actually used not only by Chromium browser, but it's also used by uh, QMU, the Fabian virtualization, and it's used in a few other tools. I think systemd actually provides some access to SecComp. There's other things we can take advantage of with uh, SecComp to eliminate. Uh, so we, we, we've got a probably a, a, a blacklist of another 20 major syscalls, things like uh, raw, setting up raw memory, uh, there's lots of actually setting up QMU, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but we also went through and figured out there's all sorts of networks uh, that we could eliminate. You know, you can still do DeckNet with the Linux kernel. You can, <laughs> you can do Apple Talk, <laughs> NetApp, NetWare. Nice. So we, we went through and you just never eliminated know. all that. You never, know. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need that. Yeah. Some old VMS machine comes online. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so anyway, so, so we, we, we're going through and we're trying to have kernel guys look at it and say, you know, which ones can we safely eliminate? Uh, so once we get SecComp in, uh, we'll also, you know, again, we'll shrink the attack surface. But go, uh, one last thing about the attack surface, we, we can never close the attack surface in the kernel to, to zero because your processes wouldn't you got to do some. Yeah. Right, so, so one of the interesting things that uh, I've often been asked is, you know, should I use virtualization or should, should I use containers? Um, what I look at it is virtualization is going to be around for a long time because we're, we're going to run your containers, right? You, know, you want to run your containers. You can run them on bare metal, but you still, you know, you're going to want to run them in the cloud, and the cloud exists on virtualization. So you're always going to have virtualization. They're, they're really, um, while, while containers will eliminate some need for some virtual machines, because especially if people just run one application per virtual machine, you're going to need less virtual machines, but you're always going to need virtual machines. Um, 
but a the attack surface on a virtual machine on the host kernel is very very tight. Mm -hmm. So it's it, the way you attack a uh, host machine from a virtual machine is you have to first of all take over your virtual machine, then you have to attack the hypervisor, which is a very thin uh, way of you know, talking to the, the host kernel, and then you're going to break through SE Linux and SVIRT. SE Linux and SVIRT on a virtual machine can be a lot tighter than it could be on a container yeah. because again there's a lot less talk of it. Attack surface. So containers will never be as secure as virtual machines. Right. So you, you go, I mean, it doesn't matter how tight we can get that, that attack surface, it's always going to be a little bit bigger, on, uh, a little bit bigger on the container versus virtual machine. So one of the things, again, I talk to customers about is, is think about using your virtual machines as a additional uh, separation factor. Right. Another so, layer of defense. Right. Yeah. So, so if you're going to run Say you have a web application with a web front end and a database back end. The database has your credit card data and your web yeah. front end. You usually run your web front ends outside of your inside of your DMZ, and you run your database inside of your customer. Just because you put both on a container doesn't mean you suddenly move the database to the DMZ. Mm -hmm. You basically want to still maintain that security. So you might run multiple containers on top of multiple VMs in your DMZ for all your front ends, so you can have scalability, scale up, scale down. Mm -hmm. And then have your databases running inside of VMs, inside of uh, containers. So you have you know, multiple levels of security for separation. But take your like security, uh, your, 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 all your top secret stuff will be on one top secret mm -hmm. VM, and all your secret right. stuff, you mm -hmm. know, less less. Uh, or from a multi-tenant right. standpoint, right. having dedicated nodes like on AWS, right? So I did, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, 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 when, when we get to multi-tenant containers, that's where I get real nervous. And yeah. I, I usually, I, I, some of the vendors that have come to me and said, we want to set up multi-tenant containers, I, I usually try to say, well, maybe take advantage of a virtual machine. So if one yeah. company comes in, you put all that company's VMs on the same, I mean, all that company's containers on the same virtual machine. Yeah. And you know, so Coke gets one virtual machine for all of it, so Pepsi gets you know, a different and, and, yeah, and, and in terms of like approach, it's not what you're advocating for. It sounds like using all the tools available in containers and all the tools available in virtual machines to uh, kind of compartmentalize as much as possible, right? Right. right. Um, yeah. So you have to. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, so uh, I sort of beat this one to death, I think. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things to think about when you you when you move into a container, especially from a security point of view. And and right now I see. I see people going too too far into happy land, yes. you know, thinking mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think I'm, I try to wrestle them back to reality. So, yeah. but so, but the good news on this though is that, especially because the t the tools that your team is building, a lot of these decisions are being baked into the underlying platforms, right? right. In the same way that Esvert is basically invisible to you as a right, right. So, tenant, yeah. Right? All, all these tools. Yeah, what we're finding is that for the most part, everything just works. Yeah. With, with the security we can add. And that's really what our goal is. One of the things you can do with Docker is you can run in dash dash privilege mode. When you run in dash dash privilege mode, it turns off all the security, it turns off SE Linux, the kernel file system be mounted capabilities. And a single tear rolls down your cheek. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's when I start crying. Um, I really cry at that point. So so we, we have add tooling. What we're trying to do is find a real good balance so that people don't instantaneously you know, do set and force error, which in container world is dash dash privileged. Um, and, you know, so we have to find a good balance that mm -hmm. we don't, if we go, you know, if you go too far, then uh, we start breaking everything. Uh, what we do have though, is we do have tools and in, in we've, we've got tools merged into Docker now to crank up the security. So you can, 
remember I said that we eliminated about half the capabilities. Yep. You can actually eliminate more capabilities. So if you know your processes aren't going to need set UID or they're not going to need certain uh, um, capabilities, you can eliminate. You can also tighten the SE Linux security. So yep. you can, uh, and actually you can even run. Uh, so we have the ability right now to allow you to run uh, SE Linux in a top secret secret MLS type environment. Because again, it's it's if you have a certified machine. The Docker tool will allow you to specify a top secret. Instead of using MCS separation, you can use a top secret. So, so it would be really nice That's if awesome. we got through accreditation type thing so that even Department of Defense places could take advantage of some of this new technology. That's, that, that is really awesome because it's actually using all the same mechanisms that have already yeah. been like common criteria certified, right? Right. So it's, it's, the exact same, it's the exact same thing. It's just, you know, now you use the Docker daemon to launch, the, you know, uh, a container at a certain, certain sensitivity level. Yeah. yeah. So all that stuff should just work. Uh, lastly, uh, you know, one of the traditional, you know, we, we sort of covered it with, with uh, virtualization, but um, I, when I looked at, I've looked at SE Linux for many, many years, as you guys know, and SE Linux has always been difficult because I call it the uh, cesspool of Unix, in that uh, Unix is, is the ultimate uh, communication platform. So these, these applications find 15 different ways to communicate, and SE Linux is basically always trying to break communication paths or attack services. So you're always trying to break the way one process can, can talk to another, and are always trying to establish the only way that two processes can talk. Um, and so SE Linux has always been difficult because someone who sets up their Apache service to communicate with their MySQL through you know this port or through this uh, path, and you know, they change the path slightly, and SE Linux doesn't know about it. In a container world, we're putting little boxes around everything, and so the boxes can only talk over the network. Yep. So we could really tighten the, the security on on the boxes from an SE Linux point of view, and all the boxes will run, all the containers would run with the same security level. So it becomes SE Linux becomes a lot man, more manageable. So if you're going to run, say, a project atomic uh, platform or atomic host platform where all it does is run containers, then it's it's insane to turn SE Linux off. Right. Similar to if you're running Rev H. Virtualization platform, you never want to turn that. Shouldn't off. need to. Yeah, yeah. It, should, it shouldn't. It should never really come up in this situation. Or even if it does, it's so simple to fix that uh, mm -hmm. it's not like you know, traditional. Because all the know, communication paths are predictable. Right. And uh, yeah. Well everything. Everything's well defined. Everything. You know, the, if they're communicating without using the network, then something's gone very wrong <laughs> yeah. in the system. Right. Yeah. Right. That should raise, raise all sorts of red flags. It's, they're designed to only talk over the network. Uh, uh, so, Dan. Uh, we gotta kind of wrap this up because I got a flight to catch and we're recording this on my telephone. So, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so do you have any last words or uh, uh, do you want to point people at uh, resources? I know you got the blog post. We'll put right. So, so yeah, the, the, I mean, obviously we'll put uh, all the links up to dgshow.org um, and um, I continue to write blogs. I, I actually, uh, I used to write mainly blogs at, at livejournal.com, but now we're, I'm in Project Atomic, which is the new Atomic platform running containers. Um, so there's lots and lots of security blogs showing up on yep. uh, projectatomic.org. Um, so if you went out there, you could sit, follow the blog, and other people are blogging about the way containers and stuff work. And, That's great. So. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, we'll put links to that. We'll put links to the coloring book so people could right. if the they coloring didn't get books a copy. Are, coloring book's available for download. So yeah. uh, you can run, uh, it's available in PDF format. And 
Hopefully, like the uh, SE Linux caller invoke, we get some people to do translations. So we have lots of translations yeah, of the SE yeah. Linux caller. Klingon. We need Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have not got Klingon yet. But we, we do have Persian. We have yeah. a Persian version right. of the SE Linux caller invoke. Yeah. And then uh, uh, I know that a lot of your talks, if not all of them, have been video recorded. Right. So hopefully, I, I know that the, the video team is working feverishly to get content yeah. out there. I don't know if they'll have the videos in time for us to link to it. but. Um, yeah, one one of mine's out. Uh, it, it's actually it's up, up on YouTube. So okay. yeah, if you can find it between we'll all the we'll put the, the link up there. Yeah, yeah. The, the link. But you know, it's it's in in between all the cat videos. You'll find the pig video. So you know, that's oh, they're excellent. all being put posted on YouTube or at the. But we'll some we'll add the links. Yeah, some totally. website. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dan. All right. Thanks for having me. You guys have a great trip back. Yeah. Hopefully, you'll drop your eyes. For now. <laughs>